Please pray with me. Gracious God, ever present with us, we are mindful of these times in which we live. Uncertainty, anxiety, and fear are present among us as we listen to and care for one another in these days. We ask that your peace and healing presence be with us as we pray for and hold each other in love. Lord, for all who have contracted coronavirus, we pray for care and healing. For those who are particularly vulnerable, we pray for safety and protection. For all who experience fear or anxiety, we pray for peace of mind and spirit. For affected families who are facing difficult decisions between food on the table or public safety, we pray for policies that recognize their plight. For those who do not have adequate health insurance and for those who are afraid to access care, we pray for recognition of the God-given dignity of all. For our brothers and sisters around the world, we pray for shared solidarity. For public officials and decision makers, we pray for wisdom and guidance. With gratitude for all the doctors, nurses, healthcare workers, and caregivers who, spent, who seek to respond to this emergency with compassion and in service to the common good, we pray for their courage, sustenance, and protection. Merciful God, during this time, may your church be a sign of hope, comfort, and love to all. Grant peace, grant comfort, grant healing. Be with us, Lord. Amen. The story that Stuart read one that uh, is one of my favorites. We're interrupting a little bit of our sermon series using the book of Psalms strictly uh, as our teaching text and preaching text uh, because I can't miss an opportunity to preach about the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It is one of the stories that shapes my life and shapes my theology. It's one of the stories I talk about a lot and that I think about probably every day, this idea of resurrection, this idea that when we think it's over, Jesus has other ideas. But it's also one of those stories that when I hear the start of it, it's kind of like uh, when I'm watching reruns of Seinfeld or Friends or something like that, where I'm like, oh, I remember this one. This is the one about when Jesus raises that guy from the dead. Like, I know this is the one about. And so it's hard for me to, to, to think of it in new terms because I've thought about this story so much. And so one of the things that I was wishing for this week is that this was the first time I had ever heard this story. But I can't go back in time. I can't hear it for the first time. And when I'm really honest, I'm glad it's not the first time I've heard it because it shaped me so much to be who I am today. But I did have an epiphany this week. And it's one that possibly you have already had. And when I tell you what my epiphany was, you may be kind of eye-rolling and be like, oh, well, can't believe you didn't see that before. But for me, um, I saw this week that I think, at least this week I'm believing, 
that we are to see ourselves in Lazarus. See, my theology is one of incarnation, the idea that we are, that Jesus is the incarnation of God. God has come in flesh, and therefore we are the incarnation as the body of Christ of Jesus, and that everything we do should be reflecting Jesus and showing people what Jesus looks like and sounds like and how Jesus would act and interact with one another. And so when I read most of the Jesus stories, I'm reading them trying to figure out how I ought to be because my life should reflect what Jesus does. And I've often thought like our job is to call people out of the caves of their lives, right? So the Apostle Paul says that his job is to testify to the one who called him out of the darkness and into the wonderful light. And I've said before that one of my favorite things about living in Las Cruces, New Mexico, the second time, because I went to college here, is that I get to drive past caves. I get to drive past places that were places of darkness for me. And remember that Jesus called me out of the darkness and into the light. And it's an amazing experience to get to think back on how much lighter the light is than the darkness was. But this week, as I started reading this story over and over again, I realized that maybe we're not supposed to see ourselves in Jesus, but we're supposed to see ourselves in Lazarus. See, the Gospel of John is the opposite of my favorite game when I was in third grade. When I was in third grade, every single Friday we did show and tell. And, I mean, my teacher let everybody go if they wanted. I can remember show and tell lasted forever. She must not have had, like, really good lesson plans on Friday. She was already into Saturday when Friday started, I think. And so we uh, got to have these really long times of show and tell. And I can remember kids telling the biggest lies ever, you know, like they would find a rock on the way to school and say some story about it that was very clearly not true. But we all felt like we had to say something and show something, and so we just made up a bunch of stuff. But I think the Gospel of John is the opposite of that. The Gospel of John is the tell and show Gospel. So the way John starts off is he tells us about Jesus and who Jesus is, and then then he shows us what Jesus was about. So, for example... The giving of sight to the man born blind and the raising of Lazarus from the dead show us Jesus giving light and life to particular human beings. We're invited to see ourselves in them and in their lives. We're to see ourselves in Lazarus, whose name means God help. And he's from a town named Bethany, which the name of that town means house of affliction. So God helps one who suffers from affliction. That in and of itself should bring us lots of hope during these days. Because in a sense, all of us are suffering from some sort of affliction because of coronavirus. Whether it's being locked into our houses and not really being able to leave the way we want to. Or having to be out working and not really wanting to be working. Working in fear. Like I feel like one of the things that has happened this last week is I've seen a bigger and bigger separation between white-collar jobs and blue-collar jobs. And it's a little bit heartbreaking, and it's a place of privilege for me to be able to stay at home and get on my computer with my powerful Wi-Fi and talk to all the people I need to talk to and have meetings, and we're recording Bible studies, and 
sending those out, but I'm also very aware that there are people who are part of this church who don't ever get to see those things because they don't have access to Wi-Fi, they don't have computers, and they don't may potentially have the knowledge of how to find the stuff that we're sending out. It's kind of a case of the haves and the have-nots. And additionally, I think that we're suffering from the affliction of we are protected and other people aren't. And we kind of feel sorry for them, but we don't really know what to do about that. And then there's the real afflictions that we suffer from, which I read on Facebook this week about a pastor who was diagnosed with breast cancer this week. And there were some responses, but not nearly the kinds of responses that are going out about coronavirus. And it was a little bit heartbreaking because if this had been six months ago, there would have been an outpouring toward her. I think we suffer from the affliction of being stuck thinking about ourselves and our fear. But God helps those who live in the house of affliction. John's gospel continually uses the physical as a metaphor for the spiritual. So water in God's John's gospel is a metaphor for the quenching of our spiritual thirst through Jesus' presence. And Jesus is called the living water. The bread Jesus multiplies to feed to the crowd is a metaphor for the satisfaction of our spiritual hunger that Jesus brings. And Jesus is called the bread from heaven. Sight is a metaphor for the spiritual vision and clarity that Jesus brings. And Jesus is the light of the world. And here, the restoration of physical life is a metaphor for breaking free from the bonds of spiritual death into the gift of eternal life that Jesus brings. And Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who believes in me will never die. So Lazarus is sick, and he dies. And they put him in a tomb, and they cover the tomb with a stone, as was the custom of the time. We will hear another resurrection story in a few weeks where there was a stone covering a tomb. But that resurrection happened on the third day. This one happens on the fourth day. And ancient rabbis believed that for three days after you died, your spirit hovered somewhere near your body, and so somehow resurrection was possible. But Jesus shows up to this tomb on the fourth day. There was no hope. There was a period at the end of the sentence, as the African-American preachers say, where we put a period, God puts a comma. And Jesus shows up as the comma, and not only does he change everybody's worldview, he changes the way that everybody thought about him who was physically there. So the stone is rolled away and the sisters are saying, don't roll it away. There's going to be a stench. They don't want to have to smell the smell of death. They would rather ignore it. And here's the thing, for resurrection to happen, we must recognize that death has occurred. We can't pretend like things are perfect and good when they're not and still find healing. If you're sick and you pretend like you're not, you won't get better. 
But we all have death in our lives, and if we don't recognize it, if we would prefer to have the stone over the tomb so we don't have to smell it, we don't have to look at it, we don't have to face it, resurrection will never, ever happen. And here's the other thing. I used to think that my job was to do the work of resurrection. Do you not think that Mary and Martha would have raised their brother from the dead if they could? And remember, this is all metaphorical in some sense. Like, I believe the resurrection of Lazarus literally happened. But I also think there's another layer to it where we can recognize in it the spiritual deaths that we all experience. And that could be the death of a relationship. It could be the death of losing your job. It could be the death of all sorts of things. But unless we recognize that death, we can't allow for God to do the work that God does because we think we can do it. So the stone is rolled away. They have to face death. And then Jesus shouts, Lazarus, come out! And the word that they use for shout, the only other time it's used in the Gospel of John is when the crowd is shouting, crucify him. It's a shout of passion. It's deep within them. It comes out and Jesus shouts from deep inside of himself, Come out. That, my sisters and brothers, is what Jesus is shouting to us. Come out. And it happens suddenly, and it's terrifying when Jesus shouts that to us because we have to walk out of the place that we're comfortable, where we feel secure, where we're able to be within our own selves, and we step out into the light, and it's blinding and it's shocking. When I baptize people by sprinkling or pouring, whether they're a little bitty baby or whether they're a grown big man like Joel, if I were going to baptize Joel by pouring water on his head, I would use a shocking amount of water. For somebody like him, I might scoop it up and and just pour it three times and drench him as much as I could because I experienced the Holy Spirit to be shocking to my system. And I think when we step out of the dark and into the light, it's shocking. But it's not our job to pull people out of the darkness. It's our job to get Jesus to the cave. And to trust that Jesus is going to do what Jesus does, which is resurrection of life and spirit and soul. But there's a command that's given. Lazarus comes walking out, and Scripture tells us that he's still bound up that the cloth is wrapped around his face and his legs. And so he's kind of, I'm imagining, he comes shuffling out because he's still bound up. And oftentimes I find that I want to wrap myself up back in my burial clothes. And sometimes I think people step out of the dark and into the light and they want to hold on to a little bit of something from that cave. They want to hold on to something from back behind them. And Jesus is saying, everything from the cave is gone. And that's where our job comes in. Because he says to everybody else, unwrap him and set him free. 
Maybe it's that we can't stop seeing the burial clothes of other people. We can't stop recognizing the caves that they came out of. And Jesus is saying, set them free. Don't hold them to the things that they did before. Or maybe it's Jesus saying, help them. They're stuck wanting to go back. Free them so they can walk away quickly. So I think in this story, we see ourselves in Lazarus coming out of the cave. And we see ourselves in the people that were standing around who Jesus said, unwrap him. The story goes on, and we didn't read the rest of it because it's really long. But there are some religious leaders who were there at Mary and Martha's house that day. And once they see this resurrection act take place, some of them are moved deeply and step out of their own caves. And some of them are terrified of who Jesus is and what he's about. And they go and they tell the high priest Caiaphas. And Caiaphas says, look, we can't have somebody like this running around doing these sorts of things because it's going to cause a stir for us Jews. And if that happens, the Romans are going to come after us. We have to stop him. But Jesus does the work of healing and resurrection, even knowing that that was how it was going to be. My prayer is that we would have the courage of Thomas to say, let's go forward with Jesus. Right now, we're living with a lot of uncertainty. For me personally, I haven't been affected by COVID-19, um, and I hope that I'm not affected by it personally. I hope nobody that I love or nobody that I pastor gets it. But I've been affected by it in other ways. Like, I've been really anxious for the United Methodist Church to have its general conference this year. And it got postponed. I, I was talking to a friend of mine, John Hunt, on Thursday. And we recorded the conversation for our podcast. You'll be getting that this week. And prior to the podcast, he and I were talking. And I said, I'm just, I just wish we could go back to the way it was, where I understood what was going to be happening. And there were so many things that, at least, they didn't feel unknown. And the truth of the matter is, we didn't know what was going to happen then, even though we had it figured out, we thought. So we're in this place of unknowing, and we're trusting that Jesus will do what Jesus does, which is bring resurrection. And so my encouragement to you is to watch for the light. Watch for the light and go towards it. Lean into it. Because it's all around us. This week I was on a run through my neighborhood. And I knew that there was some chalk art because one of my daughters had done a lot of writing on the sidewalk around our neighborhood trying to encourage people. But I saw it all over the place. And as I was on my run, I was passing people who were on the other side of the street. And everybody was waving and really friendly. And I've noticed that my whole neighborhood seems friendlier now than it did two weeks ago. That's resurrection happening. The fact that I heard from my, my friend John, and you will hear this, I think it's in the podcast, that he was talking to a friend of his who said he saw a little free library with toilet paper and Clorox wipes and Lysol in it. 
So a little free library are these boxes that people build and they put on a wooden stake and they put books in them. And anybody in the neighborhood or around can take whatever book they have and they can throw books in it if they want. It's kind of like a free book exchange. But this particular person in a neighborhood in Waco, Texas, decided that instead of books, he was going to put toilet paper, Lysol, and Clorox wipes and said, if you need some, take it. If you have extra, leave it for others. That is the light breaking into the cave. How can you walk towards that? How can you add to it? There's a beautiful communion liturgy that's often used during the season of Easter. And it goes like this. Therefore, with all who lost faith, all who walked away in sadness, with the women at the tomb and the men who hid in fear, we confess ourselves surprised by the suddenness of dawn and we confess together the great mystery of the faith that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. We confess ourselves surprised by the suddenness of dawn. I love that line. I think Lazarus was surprised by the light, and I think we can be surprised by the light also. Psalm 130 says this, I cry out to you from the depths, Lord. My Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears pay close attention to my request for mercy. If you kept track of sins, Lord, my Lord, who could stand? But forgiveness is with you. That's why you are honored. I hope, Lord, my whole being hopes, and I wait for God's promise. My whole being waits for my Lord more than the night watch waits for the morning. Yes, more than the night watch waits for the morning. Sisters and brothers, may we be the people who watch for the light. And when we see it, we run towards it. In the name of our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.